Well, thank you so much to all of those who helped to put together our worship service this week, for Bob Eden, who was our liturgist, for our Wesley Choir and Praise Team, who are our music leaders, and for Gary Brubaker, who puts all of the music together for us. Thank you so much. Now we are in our third week talking about ordinary saints. Um, some of those times that we think larger than life personalities, and maybe they are. Um, they're also human beings who have done sometimes ordinary things leading to extraordinary results, um, helping to change the world for the better. So we've looked at Mr. Rogers, at Dolly Parton. Today we'll look at Aretha Franklin, um, John Wesley, and we'll, on All Saints Day we'll close with the People of Faith United Methodist Church. So today, Aretha Franklin. Would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> well, Aretha Franklin. Um, now, many of us know Aretha, um, or at least her music, songs like Natural Woman or Respect. Um, Aretha Franklin is kind of one of those larger-than-life personalities, um, and when you think about Aretha Franklin, maybe the first thing that you think about is not necessarily saint or even about faith, but there's a lot to her that maybe we don't know. Um, so maybe some of her, her first, uh, what you think of for her music may not be hymns, but actually hymns were her first language. Um, some of her best known songs like Respect and Natural Woman. And also she has several gospel albums as well, including one um, that she sings Amazing Grace, an 11 minute version of Amazing Grace, which is beautiful by the way. Um, <clears throat> so she has a lot of this, uh, a lot of songs throughout her repertoire. Um, she's had 112 songs on the Billboard charts, has had 18 Grammys. Um, in 1987, she was the first female inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And in 2012, she was inducted into the Gospel Music Hall of Fame. Rolling Stone magazine has um, several times pretty consistently put her in the top 100 singers of all time, um, usually at the number one spot, but almost always in the top 10. <clears throat> so she has lots of accomplishments um, to her professional career. When Aretha was 10 years old, her mother died, um, and her father was a Baptist preacher who was active in the civil rights movement. For several weeks after her mother died, she went silent, refusing to speak or to sing. Uh, and some of her siblings have said in interviews and in some of their writings that, that they think that part of that um, time was cultivating her inner strength. Now, a lot of times when we talk about Aretha Franklin, maybe the word diva is thrown out um, <clears throat> because of her, um, her stature, her, um, her abilities to sing, um, and... Uh, it's not always necessarily a positive connotation. Um, but a lot of people have described Aretha, and I think even she described herself as very shy and reserved, which seems to not go hand in hand, right? Um, but um, her siblings say that uh, the times that she, the time that she went silent in particular after her mother died, they think that she was cultivating her inner strength at that time. Um, and uh, she's known to be quite um, performative. Uh, when she's performing, she seems to take on a, a different role. Um, 
but um, they said that her cultivating her strength was actually protecting that shy girl inside of her, um, her, her true self or her, um, uh, of who she knew herself to be. And so sometimes we put words like diva when someone just has boundaries protecting themselves um, and saying, this is, this is all I can give of myself because more of it is meant for somewhere else. So um, she really had this inner strength and not just inner strength, but outer strength. <clears throat> she began her professional career at 12, um, singing in church and touring with civil rights tours. Um, she sang in church most of her life or at her father's parties, um, but professionally speaking, she started at 12. Um, as she went on tours with Martin Luther King Jr. in 1967 uh, and sang uh, at some of his uh, rallies and speeches and also sang at his funeral in 1968. In some of her personal life, um, she had four children um, and she had her first child at the age of 12 um, and her second when she was 15 years old. <clears throat> she um, did not talk publicly about her children, especially those two children's father, um, until a will was found in 2019. Um, and um, she was also sexually abused as a child. Um, she was in abusive marriages. And she herself struggled with addictions. Now, she didn't really talk too much about those things very publicly or outwardly, um, and part of that was for protecting herself and protecting her family. Again, those boundaries um, and those ways that she drew things tight um, to keep herself and those that she loved protected. Um, so, but there were, there were struggles throughout her life, whether we knew it or not. Um, and um, even though uh, as a person of some public renown, um, there is, we're not always entitled to everyone's stories, whatever it is that, that they want to share of who they are. Um, and so she shared some of her story publicly, but I think she also shared a lot of her story through the music that she chose and the music that she wrote. There were things that she expressed that maybe, um, that maybe it sounded like one thing to, to the audience and she was expressing a different part of her life. In fact, um, uh, just talking about her faith, um, her, her father told her, you had to know the hymns before you could sing anything else, which is actually one of John Wesley's rules for singing, um, to learn the hymns before you can sing anything else. And so she uh, learned the hymns and hymns were really her first language of music. She was raised in the church um, with her father as a Baptist preacher, um, and she was also raised around many influential people in the civil rights movement, like um, and in music, like Sam Cooke, um, like Mahalia Jackson, um, Martin Luther King Jr., and so many more. So she learned from a very early age that faith wasn't something out, just outside of yourself, but it was something that was at the core of your very being. Your faith is what drove you for everything. Um, it drove the decisions that you made for life, and um, it, it just drove everything. Um, your faith girded everything that you did, um, and, and faith gird, uh, was what drove everything that she did. Aretha believed that her voice and talent were God-given, and since they were God-given, she had a duty to share both with people. 
When she had health problems, which um, happened several times throughout her life, she asked for prayer. And one time she asked for prayer, I'm asking for prayer until I am 100%, not 85%. I'm asking for prayer until I am back on stage. And she said in another interview, she said, I was talking to Smokey Robinson, my oldest best friend smoking, talking about the fact that some doctors are not very well acquainted with faith healing. And she said, Smokey said to me, well, they just don't know who your healer is. Her faith was something that was powerful and drove her through her life. She provided money for civil rights groups, at times covering payrolls. She performed at benefits and protests and did things um, for other people that we may never know um, or have only been told um, after her death. Her faith drove her for everything. So what is faith? <clears throat> faith is believing in the unseen. It's trusting in the promises uh, given. It's also living what you believe. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. has said that faith is taking the first step when you don't know where to go. <clears throat> faith is following God. And we're called people of faith. Um, it's something central to who we are. And every story, every person's story who is here in this service today, every person has a story. And every story has its scars. I mean, it would be really great to say that everything went wonderful in life. Um, you know, well, first I was born and things were great. And then I grew up and things were great. And then I got older and things were great. Um, you know, it'd be nice to have that as a story, right? But that's not how our stories go. Um, there are, there's pain and there's heartbreak in our stories. Every story has its scars. Now, your pain may be different than someone else's. Aretha's story is different than mine, and mine is different than yours. Um, but every story, uh, every person has their own journey and their own pain. And so it's not helpful to compare to say, oh, well, hers is worse than mine or his is, um, he hasn't had it as bad as I have. It's not helpful to compare those things um, because every person's uh, experience has helped to shape you into the person that you are, for better or for worse. All of this has helped to make us who we are. Thinking about Aretha Franklin and the ways that her pain helped to make her such a strong person and boundaried person um, and protective of herself and others. And also driven by her faith. But now when we talk about our stories and we talk about scars, scars are really different than wounds. Wounds haven't been healed, um, but scars have. Scars show us that a wound has been there. I heard a quote somewhere that said, scars tell us where we've been. They don't tell us where we're going. They don't have to dictate our story, but they do tell us where we've been. And it'd be really nice if we could live this wound and scar-free life. And yet, pain also reveals who we are. <coughs> There's nothing in scripture that promises a pain-free life. In fact, throughout the scriptures, it's quite the opposite. If you read through the Bible, you will read stories of trouble, of disaster, of death, of destruction, oppression. You name it, it is in there. And there are, um, there's also nothing about living a faithful life that says God will take away all of your pain. 
Um, especially if you live uh, well or you follow God, God will take all of your pain away. In fact, it just says that God will be with you in the middle of that. And so it's not if the pain cuts you deep, but when the pain cuts you deep. And remember that God is present with you in the middle of that. When we're going through some of those things that are hard or hurtful, um, we may not always want to admit that we don't feel as strong as we'd like. And yet, sometimes we are not. Um, and when we think about faith, we don't always think about faith as something that should be weak um, because weakness doesn't seem like it should be a good thing. Um, but think about how when we sing, Jesus loves me, we sing, we are weak, but he is strong. Sometimes there are things that we just can't carry on our own because they're too heavy or they're too big or they're too painful. <clears throat> and sometimes we... <coughs> And sometimes we just fight that feeling because we're told we should be strong. But God doesn't ask us to be strong on our own, but strong with God. And so what if we thought about weakness as a spiritual gift? Aaliyah Joy um, wrote in her book, Glorious Weakness, she said, weakness is a holy invitation to allow grace to do its work. She says, I wish I understood the answers are not the reason we ask the questions. Sometimes we ask the questions to say, who are you really, God? Who are you to me right now in this pain? Where are you now? Are you here with me now? Can I trust you're not relegated to some distant eternity still sitting on a silver-lined cloud, but instead in this sterile and silent room? The questions are the place to admit to our need, not just for answers, but for awareness for who God is. I wish I had known that the questions are the invitation for Jesus to enter our sorrow and to reclaim the dead space. What if our weakness isn't negative, but it's where we invite Jesus to do the work that Jesus does through resurrection and through life? But it's not something we do on our own with our own will and our own strength. It's not dependent on ourselves, but it's dependent on the holy and dangerous work of grace. What if we pull our strength from our faith? In Hebrews 11:1, 1, it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. What is seen was made from things that are not visible. And within this passage from the book of Hebrews, we're reminded of the heroes of our faith. And not just the points where they had incredible things happen, but the moments when they must have felt weak or lost. And in those moments, they trusted God and who God was to have called them. Just like Aretha trusting in her faith to pull her through every challenge. Trusting her faith that called her into working and living in her faith seeking justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with her God. That same call is extended to us today and every day. Will you join God? Will we walk with God? <clears throat> I think we live the life and the faith that we want to have. 
Jimmy Carter said, my faith demands, this is not optional, my faith demands that I do whatever I can, wherever I can, whenever I can, for as long as I can, with whatever I have to try and make a difference. It sounds very Wesleyan to me. And I think it's also how Aretha Franklin lived her life. Her faith demanded of her to do what it was that she had and what she had to offer, to give, to make the world better around her to build the hope that she had in the same ways that we help to build our own hope, to sing the songs that we believe, the songs of our first language, of hymns, of praise songs, to sing the songs of praise to God, and not to give in to the temptation of treating others as less than human, I think when you think about those places in our lives where we have been hurt, it would be easy and we could even justify ourselves to say, to treat those who have hurt us as less than human, but not to give in to that temptation, to know that they are human and we are human and human beings seek forgiveness from one another and reconciliation. We can be held accountable for the things that we have done or have been done to us by human beings. And to treat someone as less than human is not living our faith. <clears throat> I think when we deny our faith in many ways, um, we deny the power of God working in this world and the power that God has to continue to create and the invitation that God has for us to continue to join in the creation and the creativity Sometimes life doesn't turn out quite the way that we think that it should, and yet we still live. And we live the faith that we have been called into. Now, thinking back again to Aretha Franklin's music, many of her songs may not be what you think of as first glance as spiritual songs. And yet, many are written from her and from others' life experiences. And many have been used to help bolster civil rights movements or um, women's rights or um, empowerment. They can, song, they can be songs that sound a lot like life and love. And then when you look at them through the context of her life and her faith, sometimes there's a deeper meaning. One of her albums, um, Spirit in the Dark, um, it was uh, released in 1970. Um, and it was written and recorded after the death of Martin Luther King Jr. And in part, um, was talked, uh, talking about pulling her, her faith forward, pulling from her faith to keep her moving forward. Um, and so many of the songs on there uh, song, sound like they're love songs or songs about relationships, and they are. Um, sometimes the relationship was not between a significant other, but between she and God. <clears throat> One of the songs on the album was called Pullin', and it was co-written with her sister Carolyn, um, and it was written just before her sister Carolyn died from cancer. And the lyrics to the song sound like it's written to an ex, like an ex-significant other, and, and it's possible that that was. But I think when you also put it in context of her life and faith, um, it, it just talks so much more 
What the chorus says, I'm pulling harder and harder. I'm moving higher and higher. I'm pulling harder and harder. I'm moving higher and higher. I'm pulling harder and harder and moving higher and higher. Being guided by faith, moving forward. Even when there are moments that make it hard, our faith is there girding everything and guiding us. We will always have reasons in our stories and in stories told to us not to believe and not to have faith. We will always be told that there are reasons not to dream or believe in a world that can be better. We will always be told that there are reasons why we shouldn't love or we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't engage in love with the world around us. But there are just as many reasons to believe and to dream and to love, to sing the songs of our language, to make the invisible visible, to take that first step, to make a difference, to keep moving higher and harder, to preach our faith, to hold on to the faith that makes us strong even when we feel weak, the faith that gives us our identity, the faith that calls us children of God, the faith that claims us and invites us into the work of God together. May we, just like Aretha, hold on to that faith and may that faith drive us and guide us. Thanks be to God. Amen.